There are many things that the term organic covers. From the field to processed products, organic production means for us consumers that we can be federally assured that our food was produced in a much healthier fashion compared to non-organic food. Today we're adding to the organic label the areas that organic doesn't cover, such as working conditions, true social justice and fair trade. Equal exchange environmental and social justice in food production. That's our topic here today, in this hour of an organic conversation. Your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. Luckily, we have a solid foundation when we want to choose healthier food, grown without the use of synthetic pesticides and fertilizers, and produced without thousands of ingredients such as colorings, preservatives, flavor enhancers, or GMOs that are allowed in non-organic foods. Organic is a federally regulated standard focused solely on the production of food. What organic does not address are social equality, farm worker pay, or fair trade. For these social aspects of food production, we are reliant on additional third-party certification agencies and organizations that have made social and environmental justice in food production their main focus. Today we have one of the leading associations with exactly this focus as our guest here in the show. Equal Exchange, Environmental and Social Justice in Food Production. That's our focus in this hour of an organic conversation. All that and more coming up in just a minute. I'm Helge Helberg, and this show is brought to you by Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables that has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. From grocery store to company cafeteria to caterers and personal chefs, Anyone can buy from Earl's Organic. Certified organic produce at earlsorganic.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. 
Environmental and Social Justice in Food Production. That's our focus in this hour. There's an organization that is leading the charge in this conversation of environmental and social justice going far beyond the organic label. It's called Equal Exchange. And on the phone with me now is Nicole Vitello, the president of Equal Exchange Produce, who is joining me from West Bridgewater in Massachusetts. Nicole, do we have you online? Yes, you do. Hello, Helga. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a busy time of the year, of the season for produce. We'll get into that in, in just a minute. Uh, you are dealing with, in this case, avocados on a daily basis. But let's frame the context a little bit more. I said in my intro, organic is such an established food label. It addresses the production of food processed and fresh food produce right from the field. Synthetic pesticides and fertilizers are not allowed. It, it really has looked at it's not perfect, perhaps, but it's constantly being reviewed and revised anyway. It addresses the production standards of uh, food production. What it does not address, and many people don't know that, Uh, are the working conditions of farm workers, equal pay, fair trade, the entire social arena of food production, which is, of course, intimately connected to how we grow and produce food. That's the focus of equal exchange. Can you talk about what is equal exchange and out of what circumstance or need was it formed already th some 30 years ago? Yes, I'd be happy to. The desire uh, for the organization really came out of this disconnection that was happening between consumers and farmers, particularly around food that was not grown locally. So we have a commodity market for coffee, tea, and yet consumers don't really have any connection to the people growing those products. Um, I think, as you've pointed out, organic has grown by leaps and bounds. There are many ways for local consumers now to connect with their food system, join a CSA, shop at a farmer's market, meet your local farmer, see local products in the store. But really, how much do people know about their coffee farmer or their banana farmer or their avocado farmer or their tea farmer? Uh, you know, those products are still kind of mysteries, I think, to most of us because they come from far away. They're often commodities in and of themselves, so they're traded on the stock market more than they're traded in people's living rooms. So they're kind of distant from that. So I think that was Equal's desire back in the day is just to connect people more. And also, as much as connecting consumers, also connecting farmers. You know, small farmers are growing many of these products, and yet they're often forced to sell to a middleman or a broker in order to get their products from point A to point B. They're kind of classed out of the system. And uh, I think for Equal, that was really something they wanted to challenge in our model by basically saying, hey, there are farmers, there are consumers, can we work to connect them? And through what model could we do that? That was sort of the goal, connecting people to their food system, talking about fair trade in a way that was tangible and real to people, and also through our own structure, becoming a worker-owned cooperative, which allowed us to relate to farmer cooperatives and consumer co-ops a lot better and really be part of an alternative system. You're making a really good point that in coffee, it's clear now that there's a middleman, I think they're called coyotes, and they pay pennies on the pound or on the, on the sack of coffee 
trickle down to the farmer at the end of our cup for $3 at a Starbucks or wherever we purchase our coffee. And with the pennies on the pound, there's no chance for the coffee grower, for the person who actually brought us this coffee to send their kids to school, for example. What's surprising with equal exchange is that that need was recognized 30 years ago. You've been around for 31 years at this point. That's a long time to recognize the need for a connection between food producer and end consumer. I know the farm to table movement here in the San Francisco Bay Area started maybe 15, maybe 20 years ago. And 15 years ago, it really created momentum. And now there's not a local restaurant that doesn't feature a local fare. So here, at least for the wider Bay Area, and I know that to be true for the entire coast sides and even throughout the country now, know your farmer, at least for people who are food aware, that's a common theme. Why was Equal Exchange able or in what position, how, who were the founders to recognize this need that early, 30 years ago, before any of us really knew that it was a problem? Yeah, interestingly enough, I mean, I think you're very right in saying that they were certainly ahead of their time. And I think most of the connections that came out of that, the inception of the idea were political. For example, this is during the Reagan embargo of Nicaragua years, and there were coffee farmers that were looking to connect with the outside mm-hmm. world and have a, you know, and, and have a, an outlet for their, their products. So there was a political bent to that. I think also connecting with a lot of alternative trade organizations or ATOs in Europe that were doing this work where fair trade was often a means to an end for development. Uh, a lot of the countries in which uh, Europe and the U.S. is trading were former European colonies. Sure, so yes. there was going to be some aid. So I think there's different ways of looking at this, right? It's either you know sort of charity or aid or development assistance or this model of just economic empowerment where farmers can get paid fairly for what they do. The middlemen that need to exist and serve a function can certainly exist in that, whether they be produce distributors or otherwise, but the ones that are clearly just profiting off of the power dynamics of the system can be challenged for that. And I think connecting farmers with consumers, you also connect the supply chain, and so you can develop some efficiencies there. Equal Exchange buys a lot of coffee in bulk volume at a set price per year, that that's a gamble. You know, uh, when you go to your local coffee shop, you know, you're supporting your local business, but often those folks are buying from a broker because of their scale. So equal attempts to replace some of those steps in the system and actually offer a more direct supply chain, that's more understandable to people. So you, you brought that up before. When when we look at organic and even fair trade, there are elements missing. In organic, fair treatment of labor is not a part of the rule or the size of the organic farm, for example. Why and how do you go beyond fair trade? You you said it's it's not really a membership, you're an association. What's the need you're addressing there? Well, I think also what's happening in our food system is there are many more choices for people now, right? True. So you might yes. even have these very conventional companies that are starting to do a little bit of organic or some large multinational companies with a checkered history, say, in the banana trade that are now offering fair trade options, right? But the irony of that is fair trade wouldn't even need to exist if these practices had been maybe a little more transparent and equitable for the people (laughs) growing these products, right? So here we are, right? Whereas Equal Exchange, as you point out, came to this from a political bent and a very ideological bent about changing the system and really changing the system for small farmer access. 
And in order to do that, we have always been a 100% fair trade company. And in another sense of living our ideals, by being a worker-owned cooperative, that basically means that every person that works here at Equal Exchange is an owner of the company. So we are not looking to be bought out by a larger company. We're not looking to, um, we're not responsible to our shareholders the same way that many other companies are. We are responsible to ourselves. And many of the small farmer organizations that we buy from, you know, let's use the coffee example again, or, or say even bananas, right? They need to be traded in huge volume. You know, 40,000 pounds of something fits into a shipping container and needs to travel halfway across the world to get here. So you're not talking a couple of sacks of coffee. You're talking 40,000 pounds, 40,000 pounds of bananas, which is 1,000 boxes in a container. These farmer groups, not one small farmer is going to be able to do that. So there's a common sense aspect to what we do, which is farmers need to organize and form a cooperative themselves in order to export volume. By organizing, they're actually instilling business practices and principles together. There has to be trust. We have to have quality. We have to have certifications. We have food safety issues. I mean, they're forming a business in their community. That business, as it grows, also Mm -hmm. does employ a lot of their children or people that have gone off to university that might not be just at the agricultural grower scale, but might be agricultural technicians, certification experts, logistics people. So you've created this whole second tier of jobs in this community. And because Equal Exchange is in and of ourselves a business, and we're trading with farmers who are in their own business, and we're all part of this alternative system. This is our heart and soul and the essence of who we are and what we do, and this is our way of influencing and challenging the food system to say it can be more equitable for growers and for consumers. You know, there can be a way to do this that doesn't just have to be fair trade is always going to cost more money and be priced out for the majority of people. It's saying if we took it, this is food and, and this is our health and this is our planet. And if we don't start looking to small farmers who own their own land, who live where they are, who are invested in their communities, instead of a corporate model where many of these companies are based thousands of miles away, making decisions that aren't affecting them physically on the ground, you know, it's easy to get out of whack with that system. And you're putting profits before people and before the environment and before our future um, as a community. And so in that sense, I think Equal was absolutely ahead of the curve. And I think they that we always have been and try to be positioned in this place to challenge sort of the prevailing Status thinking quo. and say, but why? Yes. Right? Why does it have to be that way? And give, give people a choice in the matter and, and just talk to them about how the food system is and how we might want it to be. Fantastic. Equal Exchange, Environmental and Social Justice in Food Production. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. And I'm speaking with Nicole Vitello, the president of Equal Exchange Produce. Equal Exchange is located in West Bridgewater, Massachusetts, and the website is equalexchange.coop, C-O-O-P. Nicole, you just touched on that. You're building on organic and on fair trade, right? You are all the all the products that you trade with are certified organic and they're also certified fair trade. And then you add that additional social element to it. Is that correct? Correct. Great. Having addressed social and environmental justice for over 30 years now and building community, as you are saying, uh, for over 30 years, how has the focus shifted for you as an organization over 30 years? What's the biggest focus today 
compared to what it was or has it has it even changed is the same problems of the food system are your your main focus as it was 30 years ago what what has changed what has gotten better or worse that you are seeing now Well, I think that's a great question, Helga. I think for Equal at the beginning, because we were really the first fair trade organization in the country and certainly on the scale of coffee, it really became this burden to explain it become this ambassador for, for fair trade. I think many people maybe had felt this also even with the organic movement and trying to be part of the writing of the rules for organic when it became a national program, right? Yes. There were small farmers involved in that, plus big farms and agribusiness. Yes, you have all of these people involved with varying degrees of scale and scope and focus for or different what angles really, right? Out. I mean, yeah, exactly. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. And so now you put them all under this umbrella of a <laughs> movement, right? And so I think Equal for many, many years really just felt that they were trying to explain what fair trade was down to the point where now people, when they look at the bag or the label with sort of like two E's back to back and this red and white logo, people think that's a fair trade certification. And in reality, that's our brand. So I think maybe we did ourselves a disservice by promoting a movement that I feel like we've been cut out of to some extent because without talking about our version of fair trade or who we were trying to reach and without bringing that conversation to the consumer directly, we sort of wound up in this world of certifications and um, marketing movements and what is fair trade in the United States and what we should we be doing, right? And so I think we told the movement story more than we told our own story and maybe to a, to our own disservice because I think it's really the model of equal exchange in the people that make it so vibrant. That's really unprecedented. I, I actually don't know, understanding now equal exchange, all the products are certified organic, they're all fair trade, but you are... A, We're a co-op, right? Co We're literally exactly. a worker-owned cooperative. And so you, you can't work here without being part of the cooperative and you have responsibilities for that. Does that make uh, equal exchange unique? Is there any other co-op that deals with international trade that is fair trade certified and organic certified? Is there another example? So I can't think. I mean, so Frontier, uh, the Herb, and they are also a membership organization. And to be clear, what's interesting about Equal is the farmers do not own our organization. The beautiful part of this is the solidarity move. Because we are a worker-owned co-op here based in Massachusetts, we're a manufacturing company. We roast and produce coffee here. People that work on the production line have the same rights and votes that I do running the produce division. And that's how farmer co-ops are organized. They're organized in their own cooperative of all of them are members. They pull their product, they pull their money, they pull their resources, they decide on their pricing, they negotiate their contracts. We're doing the same here in Massachusetts. They're doing that in Ecuador or Peru or Bolivia or Tanzania. And that's the beauty. And we're often selling to consumer co-ops, you know, like there's Rainbow Co-op, Rainbow Grocery right in San Francisco. They're a worker-owned cooperative. And so Those three organizations, from producer to importer to retail store, have all decided to agree first. on a certain common set of standards, which uh -huh. puts workers and worker rights and democratic participation and all of these kind of lofty goals that are part of fair trade, transparency, democracy, gender equity, 
engagement and participation, like those are hard things to certify. You know, organic is an easy certification next to that set of <laughs> standards. You test my soil. Well, you're, um, you're dealing with here. people, right? I mean, you, you made the decision that without a people's movement, putting people first, environmental and social justice is kind of, it's what's the point if it's not about us and us taking care of the planet. So you're really putting the saddle on completely differently on the horse and saying, no, this is the, the, the way this has been structured is not working. We got to put the money and the power and, as you said, uh, gender equality. It's really all the same topic in a way. We, we need and, to put this all in the same pot and, and address it all collectively. Yeah, and it is kind of like you just sort of threw out the traditional business model, particularly in our food system, and said, what if we tried to do this differently? It's interesting when you were saying earlier about how this farm-to-fork movement feels relatively new, but I guess if you think back like, you know, 100 years, how was business done then, right? You had your local fruit vendor and you went to the market, you dealt with them or your butcher or your supermarket, you sort of had this connection to your food purveyors in a way that was more direct and real, and then we sort of engaged in this era of the giant grocery mm-hmm. store, yeah. right, which took us into this lost-in-the-supermarket motif, right, where we were just wandering around trying to find products disconnected, and we sure. became consumer tools in that process. So how do you, you know, how do you put the democracy back into that? How do you help consumers to understand that they're not just consuming, but they're actually Co-creating. participants yeah. in this? food system and they're, you know, they're citizens and consumers and they're, you know, they deserve the role and participation and voice in this movement just as the rest of us do. We're all so concerned about selling to that person, but what about just engaging with that person to learn how they feel about things and what they'd like out of their food system? Yeah, well, you're adding to, you vote with your dollar to co-create with your dollar, and that's such a better way of of engagement or deeper level of engagement. Right, I mean, one of the best co-op grocery store slogans I have ever heard was, own a grocery store with your friends. (laughs) You know, like, that's sort of the concept. Why, you can make decisions about what products you want to be there, not, you know, giant company buying slotting fees at a supermarket shelf to be at eye level and put the catchy thing like just say who you are and let people make that choice and beautiful um, engage a little that's nicole vitello president of equal exchange produce uh, 100% organic and fair trade produce importer uh, worker owned cooperative we'll take a quick break nicole please stay put this is an organic conversation i'm helge helberg and our topic in this hour is equal exchange environmental and social justice in food production that and more when we come back right after the break in just a minute this show is brought to you by bowman college a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts become a nutrition consultant or a natural chef at one of their campuses or learn from home in a self-paced mentored distance learning program. For more information on a degree in holistic nutrition or culinary arts, bowmancollege.org. And Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y. W-I-N-E dot com.
And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. Environmental and social justice in food production is our topic in this hour on the perfect example of equal exchange. And we are speaking with Nicole Vitello, the president of Equal Exchange Produce, a worker-owned co-op that is 100% fair trade and 100% organic with all its products and its membership farms. Uh, Nicole, tell us about your membership part. Give us a picture of, of what countries you work with, what, what kind of farmers, what are the sizes, the types, uh, what are the products, certainly, that Equal Exchange offers. So Equal Exchange is engaging in fair trade with 40 different farmer ex organizations in about 25 different countries wow. uh, across the world. Yeah. Coffee is is still our biggest product. And the idea is, I think when you're talking about membership, I would qualify that by saying we're all members in the fair trade movement. So sure. each of these farmer groups is selling to equal exchange as well as other customers, most often in Europe or other places, generally Europe, where I think there's more of a fair trade economy. So it's not um, exclusively and, and your, your client, so to say, but you do business with over 40 and 25 countries, over yeah, 40 farmer yeah. groups. And, yeah, and, and in coffee, Equal is a significant partner, but I think we often also want their, these organizations to be robust and healthy. And I think that's the difference between fair trade and, say, direct trade, which you hear a lot in coffee, where that might be an organization buying from one farmer directly, and then what happens when that organization falters, and then that farmer is left without mm -hmm. any other outlet because they were too myopic in their sales. Sure. So yes. I think the idea is you want to create these robust, healthy farmer organizations that are businesses as well as agricultural producers. You'd like them to be selling under the same set of standards to all of their clients, which would be the fair trade set of standards. We Equal Exchange focuses only on small farmers organized into co-ops. And the reason for that is we believe really strongly in the farmer model of you own your own land. You are democratically organized into an organization that uh, runs an export business. You're engaged in your community and you're creating wealth in your community, but also dignity and respect for yourself, your livelihood and the other people that can engage in that. So that's a really key component to this when you, when democratic you, principle. When you, can you describe what the average, uh, or maybe there's no average, what's the smallest and what's the largest association that you Yeah, so I mean, with? let me just talk about produce, yeah, right? Because great. I think that's a, a sure. good example. Um, Perfect. Where in avocados, we're dealing with a, a small farmer co-op in Michoacan, Mexico, that's started really with 25 members, and at this point is maybe 50 members total. You know, we buy 40,000 pounds of avocados once a week, and um, that's a newer relationship we've had for four or five years. We have... How, uh, how big banana. are their, their fields when you, when you talk about well, those? Well, they're so. usually under 10 acres. Uh -huh. So, like, each country will have a, a different set of standards for what is a small farmer. Some might be even smaller than that. Some may be a little larger than that, but the idea is you want to create some equality in that system. Yeah, Obviously, so we're not talking... co-op has one giant plantation and then five small farmers, you sort of know where that money is going. And that's not really changing any sort of model. That's sort of how agriculture has run. It's sort of the biggest rise to the top and they're more efficient and they're more cost-effective and often people are more and more separated from those means of production. So you're a worker on a plantation versus a banana farmer who owns your small plot 
So take, for example, a group in Peru that we deal with. Peru had a large um, land redistribution plan through the government, which basically said we're going to give this area in northern Peru near Piura, which is Mm -hmm. a giant desert sort of south of Ecuador where there's a lot of water. So they said, we're going to give this area that's underproducing right now to, we're going to redistribute the land to a bunch of small farmers. Their land is all going to be right next to each other. So you could sort of run it with the efficiencies maybe of a plantation style, a central distribution area, a central wash area, um, a packaging area so that you can have all the efficiencies of these farms being right next to each other. But what if each of these people own their own land? Mm -hmm. Then again, now you have equity as a farmer. You have dignity and respect. You're a member of your community, and you run this cooperative business. So already you've raised your stature if your alternative is to be a worker on a conventional banana plantation where you have very little rights. You're paid very small amounts of money, a couple dollars a week. You're exposed to a tremendous amount of chemicals, and your life is pretty stark. You're away from your community. You're away from your family. It's often single men that are working in those environments and the ensuing cultural breakdown that happens, Mm -hmm. right? Violence, drinking, prostitution. I mean, it's just not a happy life. So let's contrast that with you own your land. You live on it with your family. Your kids maybe go off to school and work in the community, and you're part of this co-op. And in this banana co-op, it's a 1,000 farmers. Yeah, and you, I mean, there's a um, kind of a, maybe a romantic picture or notion of what a small-scale farm looks like. We're not talking 30 trees, right? We're talking 10 acres. That's a a really robust, economically viable, especially for local communities, contributing entity. Uh, It's also not thousands and thousands of acres, as you said, where that could become a monocrop problem again. But 10 acres and, you know, lots of, of, I'm sure, other products, because it is your own land, you can grow other food crops that you can eat with your family, kind of as a subsistence farmer as well. So you have a cash crop and you have other crops that you can sell on the local market or eat yourself. That's and a, you have this biological diversity, right? right Which is exactly. Big, you know, uh, in terms of climate change and diversity uh, versus just growing bananas monocropped in a huge plantation style, obviously, is a much more um, conducive of course. Uh, yes. lifestyle. Yes. Yeah, yeah, much healthier balance. And 10 acres are significant in terms of contributing to the local economy, offering maybe jobs in addition, uh, so that as you said, from education of the of the children of those landowners, it's it's really part of overall of that society, of that culture, of that community. Right. But you have to want to do this, Helga. No one is going to go into food production and use this as your model for efficiency or even for all of the regulations and food safety and requirements. Dealing with small farmers is a far more complex <laughs> situation, right? If you're just looking to have security sure and production... Is pennies on the dollar, grow your supply chains, you know, in an extraordinary fashion and go from, you know, what banana production has done globally to take this tropical fruit produced thousands and thousands of miles away and have it compete on a level with a local apple. You know, I mean, that was a feat of industrial revolution type feat, but it was not about people and the environment. It was about, you know, profit and margin and bananas are still a loss leader on the store shelf where they're selling for 49 cents a pound in 2017. You know, I mean, that those economics have dictated everything else about it. Yeah. So now all of a sudden you try to inject this fair trade small farmer, a little pie in the sky supply chain and compete on that retail shelf next to 
a giant multinational banana. And that's a crazy concept, right? Like it really, no one would ever think that that, no one would do that. Why would equal exchange being profitable in coffee and tea and chocolate and these items that are more on the um, higher end of the pay grade in terms of food purchasing and, and money returned to farmers. And then you're going to get into products like bananas. Like that's a fool's errand, you know, but I think the idea was that is the most commonly consumed fruit on the planet, 365 days a year. It's every, um, it's in everybody's market basket, right? They walk out of the grocery store, they've got bananas. So how would you talk to people about what you're trying to do, except through some of these products? Of course, putting people first and dealing with people is by everyone knows that is is very, very difficult at times. And the human element is one of the most difficult to to deal with. And yet I would say that the alternative, quote unquote alternative, the other way of doing it, where you have you know one company that owns all the land and the workers don't get paid for, as you said, is not without problems either. So basically, you're dealing with the difficulties and you're solving the difficulties between people in that moment, because you have to in order to to make this run smoothly and successfully as equal exchange. And any worker-owned cooperative knows that it is hard and processes take longer and all that. And yet, when it's solved, it is carried by everyone, instead of putting the problems in into the next five years or 10 years, whether they're environmental or social, they will they will come back and bite you anyway, just because, you know, you're not dealing with them right now, or they it looks more streamlined. And I think as the world becomes smaller, we realize we're we have part to. of global Absolutely. economy. So these problems, environmental, social, otherwise, that we feel yes. we've exported to Ecuador or Mexico or Guatemala or further yeah. south, you know, they, they are coming back to hunt us, yes. right? There's, we have immigration issues. We have global warming issues. You're right. Exactly. We've exported these problems to other places. And now those places are a lot closer to us than they once were. And, and I believe we need to take some responsibility for yeah. that, both as citizens, as consumers, as people who eat, because yes. we are voting with our, our dollars and we want a food system that we can feel good about at the end of the day. And yes. I think the more people know about that, the more they're willing to engage. I'm speaking with Nicole Vitello, the president of Equal Exchange Produce in this hour of Equal Exchange, Environmental and Social Justice in Food Production here on An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. And Nicole, we're almost out of time actually already, but it's a fascinating conversation and such important work that you do. I do want to have you share some, a couple of success stories of the farms you're dealing with. Through your work, what change have you seen? You've been with Equal Exchange for, I believe, over 10 years at this point. The organization has been around for 30. Do you have a couple of stories about how your work has impacted land communities or farmers themselves? So when we first started engaging in, the, in trying to find farmers in Peru and Ecuador that we could form relationships with, and we did that 10 years ago, um, and there's a group in Ecuador called Asoguabo, and there's a group in Peru called Sipibo. And the, particularly the, the Sipibo example, and I'll never forget this quote, they They basically just said, you know, we always knew that we'd be selling to some of the multinationals because they're the bigger buyers here, but we just wanted the choice, you know, to not just sell to them, but to find new customers and to learn other ways of doing business. And yet there's an undue influence 
uh, down there for who you can sell to, and there's a lot of pressure points. When I think about agricultural production, I often think of this hourglass motif, right? Lots of farmers bottleneck in the distribution, either export, import, distribution, and then lots of consumers. So you have this hourglass, and that bottleneck is where all the power lies. So as these companies had invested a lot in banana production and their systems, they were constantly looking for ways to hang on to that. So they said, no, you can't sell to anybody else. Like, we have this proprietary relationship, whatever. And so these farmers opted to go off on their own and say, okay, well, then I guess we won't sell to you at all, and we're going to take this chance to find other customers and to go off on our own. And that was tremendously Brave, brave and yes. frightening, and that's their whole livelihood. That's just for them. They have to speak as a co-op for that. Their neighbors are still going to go off and do what they're doing. There's pressure and intimidation. And over the years, we have been a small partner to them, but a constant partner. And they're always saying, you know, that. and I don't like to speak for farmers themselves, so hopefully in the future we can have them on the show and they can put this in their own words. But if I can paraphrase, it's something about equals a small partner, but our real partner, meaning the respect and dignity that we give them by not trying to solve their problem, by not saying, this is the way you should do it, or I'm a banana growing expert. They're the experts in what they do. Farmers are some of the smartest people I know. They're doing many things with very little. They're dealing with the real consequences of that. They're supporting their families. They're making business decisions every day. And the more empowered they become to respect themselves, and this goes for domestic farmers too. Farmers are some of the shyest and most self-effacing people I meet. And I'm like, man, if anybody tried to do this job, they'd be gone in a week. The weather, (laughs) the conditions, the economics. Impossible, actually. Yeah, yeah, right? And many people (laughs) don't ever see that or know that. So those are the stories that we come away from where that respect that we give them to know the best means to do what they do and the best ways to work in their environment, and then they trust us the same way to say, like, they're not trying to, you know, figure out how to sell products in the United States or how to market them or tell their story. They're often depending on us for that. So it's really that synergy between an interconnected supply chain and the respect that each of you give each other to do what you do best and to focus on that area instead of trying to do everything somewhat okay is really, I think, the backbone of, of our farmer uh, partnership stories. And I, I do think of that Sapibo story. And there are many others out there of people that just decided to break the chains of the system they were sort of led into and try something different at tremendous risk to their person, you know, and their environment to try to do that. And I think the results have been astounding. The model's there, the people are there, the stories are there. And I look forward to the conversation continuing. This conversation is a great part of that. And I think there's so much more to to talk about, and I'm excited to have those conversations and bring farmers and consumers directly together to have those conversations and us be a part of it. Well, Equal Exchange is creating true partnerships, it sounds like, and partnerships, true partnerships, uh, every in, in true partnerships, everyone wins. So that's the difference to, you know, many, many other models. If people were to look for Equal Exchange, how would they find them? If you can sum this up in just a minute, what products are you offering and how would they find them? Well, the great thing about coffee, tea, and chocolate is you can order it direct from Equal Exchange. So we have a web store and um, can ship it anywhere in the world. The harder part about the produce items are that they generally go through local distribution. So you're talking generally Equal tries to support the people that are in our food system with the same ideals. So that might be a natural food store or a co-op grocery store 
or a buying club or um, one of the more alternative ways to, to find produce. But on the other hand, I feel like more and more independent retailers and even chain stores are looking for products that are different and um, alternative. And I think there's more traction now for fair trade than there ever was. So I always encourage people to certainly look for us in the places that we are, but also ask questions where you shop. Be a citizen consumer. Like go out there and say, hey, I heard about this cool company doing cool stuff. Have you heard about them? And could we get some of their bananas or avocados or tea or chocolate or nuts or dried fruits or coffee? I mean, those are basically the products. Can you list um, those products? Like what Equal Exchange currently offers or deals with? Yeah, so coffee is the main one, and you can buy it in bulk or it's in a red packaged bag with an Equal Exchange label on it. Tea um, is another bagged tea and, and some bulk teas. We have chocolate bars, about 12 different chocolate bars, and that's really our only composite product because for the most part, we try to keep things real and, and plain and in the whole foods category of coffee, tea, chocolate, bananas, avocados, and then the nuts and dried fruits. So some of the nuts come from almond farmers in California. The cashews come from El Salvador in India. But uh, the heart and soul of Equal Exchange has been the bulk department in, in say, a co-op grocery store because there's no packaging. You can buy it in volume, and the store does better buying in bulk and selling to you in small quantities. So there's the economics. But, and they, the yeah, store would show the, the sign, right? They would say Yeah, they'll have the Equal, equal label there on the bulk bin, um, or, you know, all of those products are available. In Lovely. Packages. So you can see them on the Equal Exchange website, equalexchange.coop. And you generally can find them in most of your stores locally. But I, I know um, we live in a tiny bubble here in Massachusetts, so I'm often thinking that, you know, equal products are more prevalent than they are. And so I just always encourage people to have that conversation sure. um, where they shop because they clearly love where they shop for a reason and they want to be part of that process. And those are some of the best calls we get. Hey, one of my shoppers said they, I've never heard of your company. And they came in and talked about Equal Exchange and said they heard something on the radio or saw it, you know, some of their family members work there. And those are the best ways. Word of mouth is still, I think, after all these years, still the best form of connection and advertisement. And I think when it's a product people care about, they feel part of getting it out into the world more. And that's always been where our strength lies in the, in the people chain. Great. And always certified organic and fair trade. That's Equal Exchange. And that's the president of Equal Exchange Produce, Nicole Vitello. Nicole, thanks so much for making time today and explaining this crucial and maybe not easy to grasp concept so beautifully. Pleasure to have you. And yes, we'll, we'll stay on this topic of going beyond fair trade and going beyond organic and help you back soon. Helga, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for, for giving me the opportunity. Always fun to talk with you. Sure. Talk with you soon. Take good care. Okay. Bye-bye. Right, Bye-bye. Again, that's Nicole Vitello, the president of Equal Exchange Produce. Equal Exchange, an organization out of West Bridgewater, Massachusetts. The website is equalexchange.coop. That's equalexchange.coop. In this hour of an organic conversation on environmental and social justice in food production, there are many things that the term organic covers, and then there are many things that go beyond that we need to address. And we are staying with the topic of organic produce, our consumer segment of how you can save some money by choosing the right fruits and vegetables that are in season right now, how to pick them, how to store them, and how to eat them. Here is what's in season.
And with me now is the voice of the San Francisco produce market, of course, Mr. Earl Herrick of Earl's Organic Produce. That's earlsorganic.com for tips and recipes and such. Earl, you're back in the studio. Thank you. You know, I love these successive uh, visits and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, they're very, very comfortable. I love, you know, sitting here with a headset on. Dig it. <laughs> digging it. And digging it is the key word. We, we talked about avocados a couple of weeks back. What is it for us today? Well, it's another item that just continues to gain in popularity, and that's mangoes. And like avocados, there's several varieties, though uh, many people with avocados, it's Haas only, where the mangoes, there's a couple very popular ones. Uh, and it is amazing about the uh, consumption per capita. Well, they're, they're in more uh, restaurants. They're being used in salsas in, and in, in fish dishes. And again, people turn each other on to them all the time. And so right now, we're really at the beginning Yeah, for the last couple of weeks of the, the Mexican season, which is the biggest season for the United States. You know, you start out in Ecuador and Peru around the turn of the year as New Year starts. But then we get into Mexico and that season lasts all the way till, uh, till the fall. Hmm. So now we're just starting off on it right now. But what varieties are they growing? Well, the, the two popular ones you're going to see mostly are, well, three really is going to be the, the Kent, which is the uh, big generally green with some blushes of color you have oh, yeah. you have the tommy atkin which is much more colorful and kind of kidney shaped then you have the atofo which is also known as the manila which is the yellow uh, yellow golden a huh. uh, very 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 sweet um all all three of those come into play at different times as you go up the coast of you if you look at The mainland of Mexico and in between the mainland and Baja is the Sea of Cortez. And on the mainland side, that's really where the majority of the, I'm going to say avocados here, mangoes are grown. So you start at the very southern portion, Oaxaca, which is where the production's been coming out of it. And just as the season progresses month by month, it just for, goes up further north, goes inland a bit into the upper elevations. And so you get this long duration of time where production is very, very steady. And what does that mean to the consumer? Is it a good year? Are prices yeah. fair? Yeah, they are fair and it's a very steady year. We've had a couple very good years now. The weather was a little odd. There was some, some districts got less cold than they like. There's a certain amount of cold temperatures that the trees enjoy. There's, of course, it's been rainy. You know, it's not unlike uh, the weather down there is not that uh, different than what we're getting in California. It's a mm -hmm. little drier, but they, they're having... They've had a fair amount of rain in the off-season. Sometimes that can be a problem when it becomes too humid, which is the most southern areas down in Oaxaca. And that southern uh, humidity can cause some problems for the atofo where it gets stained. Uh, so they're not these beautiful, uh, fully golden, perfect orbs. They, they have some staining, which is latex staining, which really isn't a problem. It's just uh, some discharge from, from the mango that happens in high humidity uh, weather. So if you if you want to pick the perfect one, what do you mm. go by? Yeah, again, if you can r wait to the piece, if you can pick it up, it should feel heavy in your hand. It should feel that means juicy, full of sugar. Yeah, and so also the mangoes are very dense because, as you know, you know the the uh, fruit adheres to the pit, and you really have to you know cut it off, as or you peel it, and, and the skin uh, adheres to the skin. And that, you, yeah, that's what Rigo was saying about a pineapple, right. and I did that. He said. For Forget the color, forget almost everything you know about it. Just hold two equal pieces, 
whatever, whichever one is heavier yeah. is the one that's better. And I've done this now. And wow, I had these most flowery, beautiful, mm. uh, <laughs> I'm saying avocado too, pineapple. And you're saying same with mango. Go by yeah. weight, right? It should yeah, be really and, heavy. And it should give. This have it should a little have a certain amount of give. Again, as you do this more and more over the years, you you can pick something up and feel. Sure. Go, oh my goodness, that's a rock. It just has no give to it. It's really incredibly formidable, if you will. But as and it, the scent, you know, not particularly. I mean, some of them do have a pretty good bouquet, and there's one called a Hayden, which has a little more bouquet, and the Atafo can also. But the the weight and it should have a little bit of give. And the color on a Kent, you're not going to have the Atafo, which is that golden one. The green should be much much less. It should be much more yellow and turn to gold. And it can and the skin can show show a little bit of shriveling too, which shows some age. That um, and if it's just a little bit, that's fine. Of course, if it gets too much, you're going to have you could have some decay problems. Cool. So look for a little dehydration, which is fine because boy, then the sugars are really really condensed. Concentrated. Concentrated. Yeah. Correct. And amazing, of course, in smoothies as we're heading into spring. Oh. Uh, yeah. Well, just April mango smoothie, spring, amazing. One of the most intense uh, fruits you can ever enjoy. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> it's so outstanding. Tropical. Yeah, really, there's nothing like it. And we'll have them all summer. So it's a nice, uh, you know, it's funny, it's a nice comparison with the with the stone fruit that's going to be coming up too. Where, a lead-in. Yeah, a lead-in and also even a comparison for a while. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, not unlike a domestic peach, right, in a way. That's right. Just more more tropical, more flowery, but... yeah. Nice. And then a little more intense and obviously less. Yeah. Well, they can, yeah, they're both juicy. Yeah. yeah, very cool. The tropical peach, mango. There we go. Look Thank for you. them all summer yeah. into the fall. Cool. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for that update. Thanks for coming in. Pleasure to have you here. Great to be here. We'll be back soon. Take care. Thank you. And that was a smash-packed hour of an organic conversation all about food. Equal exchange, environmental and social justice in food production, and of course the update from the produce doc, What's in Season, all about organic and in this case even fair trade. I'm Helge Helberg. This is an organic conversation. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thank you so much for listening. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate Producer, Kristen Ponger. The show is made possible through the fantastic support of our underwriters, Bowman College, a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Become a nutrition consultant or a natural chef at one of their campuses or learn from home in a self-paced mentored distance learning program. For more information on a degree in holistic nutrition or the culinary arts, bowmancollege.org. Thank you also to Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables that has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. From grocery store to company cafeteria to caterers and personal chefs, anyone can buy from Earl's Organic. Certified organic produce at Earl's Organic. Com. And Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, 
Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. And Batiste Rum, the first eco-positive rum of the Caribbean. Ask for Batiste Rum at Trader Joe's and Whole Foods and other fine retailers. More information at batisterum.com. That's B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. For more episodes and our podcasts, Go to anorganicconversation.com and of course you can follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. Our Twitter handle is talkorganic and we're also on Instagram. I'm Helge Helberg, host and executive producer of An Organic Conversation. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Thank you so much for listening.